Good evening. It's seven o'clock and time now for In Context with Patrick Boynes. Good evening. It's great to have you with us this evening and welcome once again to In Context on truthfm.uk. This is the radio show where we look at a passage from Scripture and where we'll always aim to look at things within their context. You can find us here on internet radio by going to truthfm.uk or on the truth.fm app, or maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. However you got here, it's jolly good to have you with us once more. My name is Patrick. I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. He's my teacher, and I'm learning to follow him through learning his teachings as I travel the journey of life. And we are on a journey. We're traveling through the writings of Luke, stopping each step of the journey to to spend a little time to admire the views along the way. And it has to be said, our stop this evening is rather bleak. You may recall that last time we read through Luke's genealogy of Jesus, which provides something of an interlude uh, between the, the work of the prophet John and that of Jesus. But before Jesus begins his teaching, there is another event which Luke records for us. And it begins with Jesus returning from the River Jordan, where he had been dipped by John, along with the crowds of people who had come to hear his teaching. This is what Luke writes. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will, if you then will worship me it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Hmm. The first thing we probably ought to notice is the prominence of the Spirit of God. John had spoken of the role of the Spirit in the work of the Messiah, and Luke told us that when Jesus had been immersed by John in the Jordan and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now he tells us that Jesus returned from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days. The presence of the Spirit of God is the presence of God himself. He was with him throughout his life. And Luke is making this abundantly clear to us. All that is taking place is fully in accord with the divine script. But that's not all. When Jesus had been dipped in the Jordan just before being led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, a voice had come from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And it is his divine Sonship which is now being put to the test. The episode we've just read is generally referred to as the temptation of Jesus, but we shouldn't think that this was the only occasion on which he was tempted. Indeed, the, the account ends with the statement that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, implying that he'll be back. So this is a, a notable event in the life of Jesus, as he is about to begin his public life, and I think it is one in which he is going to be clearly identified with the nation of Israel, among whom he is being revealed. Think of this. Israel, as a people, left Egypt and crossed over the Red Sea before being led in the wilderness. Well, here 
Jesus has come from another body of water, the, the river Jordan, and is likewise led in the wilderness. Now, as to where this wilderness was, well, we have no clear idea. It might have been in an area south of Jerusalem, but it could also have been up north in the region of Galilee. The idea is essentially of a, a desolate and solitary place, and often associated with wasteland or wilderness. Well, the association with Israel continues as we are told he was in the wilderness for 40 days, the same period of time which Moses spent up the mountain when receiving the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with Israel, during which he neither ate bread nor drank water. And then it also echoes the 40 years in which Israel were led in the wilderness, during which time they ate the bread given them from heaven. So here Luke tells us for 40 days Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended... He was hungry. Well, of course, no wonder. And that then sets the scene for what happened next. But before we go there, we, we probably ought to say something about this word temptation or tempted. I, I suspect that we generally view these words in a, a negative sense, although that's not necessarily the way in which they are always used. The word which is generally translated from the Greek text uh, here as tempted is a word which can just as easily be rendered as tested. And in a sense, they are two sides of the same coin, if you like. Whenever we are tempted to do something that we ought not to do, well, our faith is being tested. Uh, we could explore that much further, I'm sure, but we know that God will never tempt us to do anything contrary to his ways, but he will allow us to be tested. Now, the devil, on the other hand, well, he only tempts us to try to, to, to bring us down. But God might test us to, to prove our faith. Indeed, uh, another writer uh, of the New Testament scriptures says that we should count it all joy when we face trials or temptations, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance and that that then leads to us being complete, not lacking in anything. So here Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and his purpose was to bring Jesus down, to destroy him, deter him from his mission. 
But the true purpose of this episode was for the Spirit of God to prove his identity as the Son of God and to prepare him for the mission of God. So when the 40 days were ended, Jesus was hungry. The devil then said to him, "Ah, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Well, immediately, the divine sonship of Jesus is being called into question. Now, being tempted to turn a stone into a, a loaf of bread is not something that you or I would find particularly alluring, not even if we had gone without food for nearly six weeks. But then we simply wouldn't be able to do something like that. As for Jesus, well, that was a a different story altogether. Later we'll come to see that for the Son of God, such a thing would not only be a possibility, but under the circumstances surely most appealing. He knew that he could change every stone on the face of the earth into a loaf of bread with just a word from his mouth. He knew that he could do that and not only satisfy his hunger but rid the world of starvation whilst he was at it. But that wasn't his mission. His mission was to do the will of his father. And so Jesus answered him, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Those three words, it is written, are repeated on two more occasions during this episode. To each of the three temptations, Jesus responds with an it is written before quoting from the Hebrew scriptures. I mean, there's there's nothing magical or mystical about these words, but an affirmation of what God has spoken and a determination to live by those words. We'll, We'll say something more about that in a few moments. But in quoting from the scriptures, Jesus will, of course, be fully aware of the context in which these words are written back in the the book of Deuteronomy. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. As often seems to be the case that the reciting of a few words, perhaps the first line of a song, they they bring to mind the words that follow. And here Jesus is also affirming that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And he does so not from a position of 
godhood, but as a mere human. You know, man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He, he, he refuses to, to rely upon his divine rights, and rather he submits himself to the words of his Father and to the purpose he has laid out for him. So, the devil tries for a second time. He, uh, he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now, I don't know how we can see this as being anything other than repulsive emphasising his own position and making no mention of God, he offers Jesus everything. Far from the temptation to satisfy his present hunger, the devil offers him absolute earthly power if only he will reject his father and worship him instead. How absolutely repulsive. It's true that an offer such as this might well have appealed to the traditional Jewish notion of an earthly messianic ruler, but Jesus, he'll have none of it. Instead, he replies with those same three words, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The power and the glory of the kingdoms of this world are nothing compared with all that which is eternal. And in a world of seemingly ever-increasing globalization, we do awfully well to remember that. Well, the third temptation brings us to Jerusalem, something of a motif in this third gospel, uh, making our way to Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is tempted to throw himself down from the highest point of the temple, presumably to make a spectacular and sensational appearance before the people. And in an attempt to make his challenge that much more appealing, the devil has the audacity to quote scripture in the face of the Son of God himself. Now, it's perhaps somewhat ironic that tradition maintains that this is the place from which James, or Jacob, the brother of Jesus, was thrown to his death some thirty years later. Other than that, we don't know exactly the place indicated, though it was likely to have been the southeast corner of the temple complex, which plunges a hundred and fifty feet to the Kidron Valley below. 
Now, as to whether Jesus is physically taken to this spot, well, I'll leave that for you to speculate, though I'm not sure that it's particularly significant. What is significant is the way in which the devil quotes scripture. One writer uh, from the third century, a chap by the name of Origen, or Oregon, if you prefer, he said this. He said that whenever you hear quotations from the scriptures, be careful of trusting the speaker immediately. Consider the person, what sort of life he leads, what sort of opinions he holds, what sort of intention he has. Otherwise he might pretend that he is holy and not be holy. Isn't that fascinating? There are those who may be keen to quote scripture. And I'm sure we've come across many in our time. But to follow it, to observe it, to be bound by it, well, that's something completely different. And Jesus was bound by Scripture. So he replies by saying, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, he might test us, but it is not for us to test him. It is for us to simply trust him and do what he says. Ah, that's the sound of the mission bell once more, meaning it's our mission segment of the week. Time to consider what implications for mission there might be in the passage that we're looking into each Monday evening. And remember, when we think of mission, we want always to be thinking first of the mission of God and then consider our place within his mission. As I think we've probably said before, it's not the people of God who have a mission. It's the mission of God that has a people. And in the passage we've been looking at this evening, there are plenty of lessons to be learned, but perhaps the most significant is that in all we do, we should do as it is written. It's already been clear in our reading through this gospel that Luke sees the mission of God as a fulfillment of all that has been written by the prophets of old. And that same principle is to be true of our own participation in mission. As the Father sent his Son into the world to do his will, so we are sent into the world to do his will, to do as it is written. And that is just as important in our day-to-day -day activities as it is on a Sunday morning. No, it's more important than that. All of us are faced with challenges and trials and temptations, every one of us. And we are called to remain faithful throughout. On a very 
personal level, according to the New Testament prophet James, or Jacob as he was actually known, each of us has our own desire, whatever it might be. You know what it is. You know, it's the it's the thing that has tripped you up over and over again. It's the thing that always offers pleasure or delight, but which always fails to satisfy our true yearnings. But it keeps fooling us with its empty promises, and it will keep doing that until we recognise the, the devil's lies for what they are. And he's the master of all lies, and his deceptive delusions, they're the power that so often holds sway over us. But here's the thing. The, the thing is that truth will set us free. Knowing our desires, recognising the bait which Satan uses to lure and entice us, we need to learn the truths of God's word that oppose such lies and deceptions. We need to commit them to memory and have them to hand whenever the devil tempts us to try whatever it might be. You know, just one more time. To be able to say, it is written, is to face falsehood with truth. The response of Jesus was firmly rooted in his belief that what was written was all that mattered. He had absolute confidence in all that which is written. Of course he did. It was true. It was reliable. It was and is the way of life. Well, this episode tells us that when it comes to the things of this world, nothing is the way that it seems, however it might be dressed up. Nothing is as it seems. As John wrote in his first letter, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You'll find that in the second chapter of John's first letter. Whoever does the will of God, whoever dares to stand up to the desires and pleasures of this world and say, no, for it is written. They are the ones who will never die. So rather than pray that all trials and temptations simply pass us by, let us pray that God will strengthen us and let us take up the sword of the Spirit that we might resist the devil and all of his devious delusions. <laughs>
as we come to the end of this week's edition of In Context, why don't you let me know your thoughts? You can message us on Facebook. Look, look for the uh, the TruthFM.uk page. You can tweet us at TruthFM.uk or you can email me at Patrick at TruthFM.uk and I really would love to hear from you. So, uh, until next week, as we think over this, uh, this um, most, well, as we said earlier, it is somewhat gloomy, perhaps, this episode, and yet it's one that teaches us so much of how we might face the trials of, of this life. Until next week, as we think of these things, let me wish you God's richest blessings and let me say thank you for being with us once more <laughs>